0: It's the face of Chicago business podcast introducing you to the stories behind the faces focused on fixing today's problems with thoughtful leadership and purposeful living sit down with us as we get to know the individuals who make our city second to none. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce and this is the face of Chicago business podcast. Today I'm joined by personal injury attorney Octavio Duran. Octavio, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Tony. So hometown guy, huh? Yeah, pretty much born and raised. Pretty much, you mentioned that uh, you know at a very young age you went uh, back to Mexico, where your family's from, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, born here when I was one, my parents saved off enough dollars and so on with their plan of um, living in Mexico, you know, with those proceeds and so on. But when I was eight, they decided just to come back to Chicago and so you know we moved into Logan immediately after we we landed so
0: yeah yeah. what was the reason for coming back
1: uh, one of my youngest brothers had some heart conditions going on Uh, we we trusted the medicine out here a little bit more and um, so and we just came up here for that and we stayed yeah just we never went
0: back Seems like you love the city, though. Oh, it's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, I actually have been to enough big cities in this country where I feel like Chicago is the best. And, you know, all bias aside, I just think we have everything to offer.
0: You know, I hear that so much, though. I mean, people that come here and visit from other cities are like, man, Chicago's so clean. You know, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So I don't I don't think we're the only ones that think that.
1: Yeah, you know, if you go to New York, they say they have the better pizza. I think we do. You know, so yeah, that's I think one we of do, too. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so now you actually grew up out in the Burbs, though, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, a little bit after we moved into Logan, um, the neighborhood wasn't exactly. The safest at, at that point in the early 90s. So, my parents um, found a way to get us out to the suburbs in, uh, in good old dairy in Illinois. <laughs> so. now,
0: I know we shared that in common too that uh, it sounds like we have very similar stories. You know, we're both yeah. first generation uh, Mexican American, uh, but raised in not so Mexican communities, right? Yeah. What was that like for you?
1: You know, uh, it wasn't bad. I, I, I feel like when I talk to a lot of my friends and they say, you know, there was sort of an identity crisis, I don't think I ever really felt it or maybe because of, of, of ignorance being a bliss a little bit. Sure. Uh, and my friends just being so cool, you know? And so, um, they adapted to me, I adapted to them. Um, you know, off the air, we were joking about how friends would come over, they would try our food and how they would love the Mexican food. I mean, who, who doesn't like Mexican food, but it's even funnier when like my buddies who'd never tried really spicy food would try it and they would not give up, man. They'd be pouring and sweat, but they're going down. They, They don't care. So that was, that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and, and what about just from a, from a cultural standpoint, like you know you said that you didn't you you fit in you felt like you fit in all the time yeah. but but it seems like you always had those uh you know Mexican roots and, and you had that at home right yeah
1: so especially in the early onset you know um when you're young, you were young you can pick up a language pretty quickly right so i was able to speak english to a point where i could communicate there were a lot of facets where i couldn't express myself as much sure. um and that was just a language aspect but culturally um You know, just the way that we dressed, the way that we addressed um, adults and so on, it was—it was certainly different. Um, So there were a lot of things that I had to sort of learn, um, as far as um, I want to say Caucasian culture, because thats that's literally the the majority of the students that I grew up with um, and in my neighborhood. Um, You know, it it was seamless to an extent, but certainly I was aware of the differences, right? So Mm -hmm. I could tell, you know, the way that I talked to my mom was way different than my neighbor down the street, Dr.
0: Asman, for example. For sure, for sure. Um, Now, so where'd you go to high school? Hensel South.
1: Nice. Home of the Hornets. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right.
0: And then, so after high school, it seems like you you travel a little bit,
1: you said. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the University of Illinois for for undergrad, for college. So I got my my bachelor's there in political science, which basically means if you don't go to law school, you might as well be a a barista. (laughs) I think most folks that major in that tend to jokingly agree. Uh, So the plan was always law school. Um, And so I was lucky enough to get into Michigan State. Uh, I went there on a scholarship. And so I went out there, you know. Did that Michigan's a beautiful state? Had a great time in Michigan State, um, and so you know, just came back to Chicago because that was also the plan. Is to work out here.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, um, where did you have the desire to be a lawyer? Where did where that come from?
1: So, I, I think I mentioned this to you before. That the joke is that uh, you know, after after school, after sports, we'd come back home. My mom would um, be making us dinner and she would force us to watch her soap operas, right? And so we had to watch those and we grew up watching those. And one of the heroes in one of them was an attorney and so when I was like eight or nine, something like that, I thought, hey, this guy's kind of cool, and like, you know, being an attorney's got to be kind of cool. So it started like that. Um, but then I joined my high school's mock trial team, and I absolutely loved every part of it, you know, trying to make the best presentation on the prosecution side, or really plug a lot of holes on the fence. Um, did a lot of similar stuff in college, speech and debate, and so on, uh, really just trying to hone in those skills, and then um, also joined the debate team in, in, in law school when um had some successful competitions actually doing a lot of mock trials are called really just fake trials you know you pretend like you're in court and so on so um, yeah I mean that was that was just the, you know what cemented it was high school is okay this is I think what I what I really want to do
0: that's awesome yeah I don't think we had anything like that in my eyes school. no yeah that, yeah that sounds awesome I could see why why you gravitate towards that
1: yeah well thanks thank you
0: <laughs> but I also noticed that you have a heart to want to help people I mean I, above and beyond that it seems like you know to me that, that you really do care um, where does that come from you know in ter- terms of even just the type of people you want to help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: um, you know, growing up, I felt like I was somewhat privileged in the fact that I grew up in a a really nice neighborhood um, with really nice teachers. And I know that a lot of uh, people in our community don't have those privileges, right? And so I thought that I was sort of given this opportunity for a reason, not necessarily for self gain, I think that's the easy thing, but really to try to help those that uh, don't have access to the same benefits that I did. And so from the early onset, actually, what I wanted to do was become a criminal defense and immigration attorney because I really just wanted to focus on helping uh, members of the Latino community. That was always my, my plight and goal. Didn't quite check out that way um, because when I graduated law school, nobody was hiring. Uh, we were in a recession. Um, and it, I just sort of stumbled into personal injury. and unbeknownst to me that was the best platform for me to help out members of our community because our people are getting injured most often in uh, blue collar jobs Mm -hmm. Um, when they get injured whether it's at work or in a car accident and so on a lot of times they have no idea what to do Um, and so there's a lot of folks out there who take advantage of that Um, and so I you know to me, I see this as my platform. Try to do the right thing and try to help them and give them that representation in Spanish that not only explains what's going on to them in their language, but also makes them feel better and you know, and just and gives them the, the better representation that they could have had otherwise.
0: Yeah, and and you say that you know, obviously, when you graduated, that there, no, nobody was really hiring it was the recession. Yeah, um, so so you have your own law firm, correct? I do. Tell me about that. What was that like, uh, starting something on your own? Uh, Scary.
1: (laughs) You know, I think we were talking. um, I started this in September, and it it sort of just happened because I wanted to do it for a while. But I just felt like, okay, this is the right time to do it. Um, And so just like any startup, you know, it's a lot of work, um, a lot of sleepless hours, just trying to build something out of nothing. Um, but you know, I've, I've never looked back and I don't regret it now. I'm at about seven to eight months of starting this firm. I now have two employees, two interns, um, you know, moving on up, I guess. Right. And still just getting business, which is, which is fantastic. Um, so, um, that's one of the scariest parts. I think for anyone who goes solo, who starts a law firm is how do I continue to generate business and somehow some way just been lucky enough to do that. So
0: absolutely. No, I mean, it sounds like you've been very blessed. Um, but you know, I mean, there's gotta be challenges in that, that, that you overcame. Right. There's a lot.
1: Yeah. So when I left the last firm I was at, I started this firm with literally no money. Uh, And, you know, there's no um, guidebook out there how to start your own law practice. Um, And so literally it's like, okay, I have no funds. I have no guidance. What am I doing? <laughs> and you second guess yourself because, you know, you think you have the right idea of, of what you want to do. You have a vision that you want to execute, right? And my vision was always I want to create this uh, Spanish-centered um, customer service driven law firm that will be systematic automatic with an online platform where I can talk to my clients in many ways and they can see the growth of their files uh, and I want to make it so that it's fun for not just me but for them and for my staff once I continue to build and so on and um, you know, and so that's the vision, but it's like, okay, so, you know, when you start something, you really second guess yourself. And I think there's, you know, anyone who's a startup can understand. Sometimes there's a there's a few demons where like, well, maybe maybe this isn't right. Maybe this vision is completely wrong. Uh, but as I said, you know, so far in
0: eight months in, so far so good. <laughs> and, and do you feel like anything in life really prepared you for that looking back? I mean, we all have those experiences where... You know, we don't understand why something's happening in the moment, but later on, you're like, "Huh? You know what? This this prepared me. This helped me." Do you have anything like that?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think there there are many life lessons actually. Um, because when I was in high school, I was the shyest kid. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and leading up to it, I hated. Uh, classroom presentations. I, I was the last person I would to. would never get
0: that from you. Right, name. I was the last
1: person to volunteer because I I, was, I would shake, you know, and, and I joke about this because you get up wow. there with your notes or your, or your paper and your hands tremble because you're just nervous and then you try to control it and you shake even more and then your voice starts to quiver, and then you're oh God, what am I doing up here? Uh, but I, I knew again that I wanted to, Practice law, or when I had such an interest in, in being an attorney, and I knew that I wanted to be um, a trial attorney, not just a transactional one. And so I forced myself to really uh, embrace the fear of public speaking. Um, and so that was sometime in my, my, my sophomore year. One of my um, teachers, we had an American politics class, and he would force us all to participate a ton. And a lot of my grade was based on participation, and it was a um, two-year or a two-semester course hmm. and first semester my grades were awful I think I got a D my only D ever because wow. I didn't participate and I thought to myself what what am I doing and so next thing you know I was just that kid who was always not you know participating in class signing up first to, to do presentations and that was a huge obstacle for me I think to overcome and I think um, you know, for a lot of folks, that's one of their biggest fears is public speaking, right? I think some, I've heard a saying that some people prefer death over public speaking, true. Yeah. right? And so, yeah. you know, that, that goes to for me, I think I was part of that group and I was like, wow. I, I gotta change this. So that was one of, of a few things I think that they really prepared me for a lot of this.
0: Well, it seems, like, I mean, obviously it's a mindset change, you know, do you remember kind of the thoughts you would have in terms of the self-talk to get through that. I mean, obviously you're afraid still getting up there. It's not like it just goes away.
1: Sure. Sure. There's, there's elements of nervousness about it now. Now I think it's a little bit more different because it's more of a technicality of the law and the practice of it versus just the, the sheer getting up and speaking in front of folks. Right. Um, I, I think I coach myself into believing that i enjoyed public speaking i just kept telling myself that over and over again okay you you like this you like the attention you like making people laugh you like putting on a good presentation that that really uh delivers to people and uh that latter part really helped me because it pushed me to, to create a product that was a good presentation, right, and so I was sort of selling that presentation and in in that format, my delivery, and that really helped me sort of hone all of that in. It took a while, you know, um, I think the entire second semester of my my sophomore year was really just a trial and error practice. I'm trying to do that. but junior year senior year i got better and better at it you know just at volunteering and just feeling more comfortable in, in my own skin about that
0: that's awesome man. yeah <clears throat> now in terms of the entrepreneur that you are today right yeah i'm sure there's a lot of self-talk that goes through there <laughs> Yeah. You know? so so in those times when you're second guessing yourself you know what the hell am i doing and right should i be doing this you know, did you ever have those thoughts of quitting and going to work for someone else uh,
1: i i think I still do. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Um, because my practice is so new, still, you know, and I'm still not where I thought I'd be. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is, you know, what, what happened to most of us with, with COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, at the early onset, I, I, I was, that was my biggest fear is, okay, well, what if I crash and burn, you know? And I, I'd have all these mentors who have helped me, actually. So a lot of my success is, is owed to them. And I would literally just hit panic button, like, many nights in the early onset and think, okay, I just want to quit and just go work for them instead. Like, forget this. I can't do this, you know? Yeah, and it's yeah, so yeah. easy to do that. Um, and I really have not had time to reflect on, on much of what I was telling myself then, except I think I kept saying, well, if I crash and burn, at least I can say that I gave it my all. Right. And so the entire process to it, I kept saying that to myself, just give it your all. The only, well, the only thing you can control is how much you work, how hard you work. So give it everything you got. And if it doesn't work out, then you can say, you know what, you know, I, I, I gave it everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that uh, part has been, I think, a, a part of the reason why I've been able to take this off the ground is because, you know, endless hours, a lot of work. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Um, but I think just having that drive um, has really helped.
0: Now I know you mentioned before that uh, you've had your mentors, right? Yeah. Um, and you in and- seems like you want to mentor others and also involved in, in the legal community in different right. facets what, what was it that uh, from a mentorship standpoint that you took away that's helped you the most that that you hope to pass on to others uh across
1: the board um so my mentors have taught me how to hire staff what what characteristics to look for um what companies to use as far as you know designing websites um uh what softwares to use um what systems and policies to have in a law firm. So just a lot of the structural stuff has been has been key. And then also, you know, the attorney part is, okay, well, you know, what does filing this motion mean? Where do I file it? Um, for trial strategies, you know, what can I do? So it's, there's a lot obviously in there. And so I've had mentors that have helped me, you know, across the board there. Um, and, you know, I take that and I think I need to, you know, pay it forward, right? And so I do. Um, Uh, I volunteer a lot with the Chicago Bar Association so with that we I've mentored multiple law school students um, from the time they were in their first year of law school. Now, a lot of them are attorneys themselves, uh, so you know it's really cool to see your mentorship grow with them and be a reason why why they become successful. Um, but also, a lot of it has been high school students um, from historically underprivileged schools. A lot of them Latino students who have never been to court ever in their life sure. or even know what it's like to be an attorney. So I br- I've brought a couple to court uh, through a program through their school. Uh, but also a lot of my friends from from Darien, actually, they're uh, they're now high school teachers at CPS schools and, uh, and, and other schools where they have primarily Latino students or, or actually students of color. So I go there and I speak to them with the thought that if they see somebody like them um, who's made it right, who's gone through law school, has a career going, uh, then they could do it. Uh, and that's the message I deliver to them all the time. I, I talk to them about statistics of how there's only like 3% of, of attorneys are made up of, of uh, let, me, let me rephrase that, of the entire population of attorneys, Latinos make up about 3% of that. Wow. Right? And so I give that statistic to the students and then I tell them, okay, Part of the reason is because we're not not really mentoring, right? So we're here to tell you that you can do this if you need help with anything. You know, my business card will be given to you later. There's an abundance of of us Hispanic lawyers who are out there willing and able to help. Um, And so, you know, we're starting to um, do a lot of that uh, with that mindset. You know, let's get you guys through high school. Let's get through college. Let's get, you know, to a master's degree. There's Mm -hmm. no reason why Latinos can't do that.
0: Now, for a lot of people watching, and I think they resonate with the people that you even mentor that – you know, if you if you come from an underserved community that oftentimes you're faced with more challenges than, than you know, people who aren't, right? Yeah. What advice do you give to people who are going through, like, really difficult times, whether it be financial, whether it be family stuff? You know, how do you overcome those things?
1: <sighs> yeah, it's tough. So I tell you, two um, huge obstacles that I hear a lot from members of the Latino community are my parents want me to start working right away because we, we need to make ends meet. And that, to me, is sad and, and awful. Um, and then other folks say well my parents don't want me to go away to college because they want me to stay home and, and not leave them uh, the latter I think it's just a, a function of communication if they could connect their parents to their their deans their teachers and and really educate them on the importance of, of letting go and going to college um, that would be I think really helpful the former about you know having to work I, I really would not have an answer to that Um yeah. Because you know, I don't know the circumstances of each family. I think a function of communication and education probably could help also. Where access to funds, loans, or so to to the to the parents or the household, right? But also and letting them know, look, you're really hindering your kids' education and ability to succeed and perhaps their ability to provide for you in a bigger, better way if they become an engineer versus working, you know, in a yard or, you know, at McDonald's or something.
0: No, and that's so true. And I think it's our responsibility too uh, to make sure that we provide those opportunities and that education, you know, yeah. to everyone. Yeah. But what about from a mindset, I mean, perspective? You, you. I mean, you seem very, you know, strong-minded <laughs> in that regard. Like, what do you tell people from, from that, you know? getting through something difficult, overcoming it, and just kind of pushing through uh, maybe your fears even. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So actually another obstacle that I've heard from a lot of these students when I speak to them is I am afraid of failing. Uh, I don't think I have what it takes Uh, because again, in their lifetime, they don't know anybody who's made it through college. They don't have that person who they can identify with, right? And so they grew up thinking, well, you know, the history in my family is going to be the same as my ancestors and so on where, yeah, maybe we'll make it through high school on that side. Um And that's the mindset that, that needs to change. And so in these lectures, I let them all know, look, everybody's afraid, afraid of failing. I'm afraid of failing every day I wake up with my own law firm, you know, and there's not a day that didn't go by when I was in law school where I didn't think I was going to fail. And I don't think it's any different from the way that a Latino feels like they're going to fail versus any other ethnicity. For sure. You know, it's just um, finding the right mentors, I think, is key, but also the right resources to help them advance, right? So if they think that they're not good at research and writing a lot, there's a lot of workshops out there that can help with that. Um, and so, you know, when I'm in these in these presentations with these law schools, I let them know, look, your teachers are here to help you. If you talk to your your counselors about this, I'm pretty sure you could come up with one or two strategies that could help you hone some skills a little better than sitting there thinking, well, what? Why is that worth it if I'm going to fail anyway? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it's that mindset right of, of thinking maybe maybe I can do this maybe I should give it a shot and reaching out to those resources that there really I think
0: needs to start happening with, with a lot of these folks. Oh, that's great advice. So what's the vision for uh, for your law firm you know what's the, what's the big vision?
1: Uh, you know I, I I'm give at the start of this I gave myself five years. Uh, <laughs> I want to see where it goes in five years. Um, so I'm sort of going along for the ride. I, I hire two staff a lot sooner than I thought I would. It looks like I might have to hire some associates a lot sooner than I will. That's great. Um, if things continue to grow where they are, I, I want to open an office somewhere in either Pilsen or Cicero it's right now I'm in downtown and it's really hard for a lot of people to get to me because of parking and a lot of people just hate being in downtown anyway. Uh, so I, I think at some point I'd like to have, um, yeah, some sort of office space out on one of those neighborhoods just to, you know, be able to serve, um, not just the Latino clients, but any client really, you sure. get better, better access to, to get to my office.
0: And so now in terms of those clients, who, who should be, uh, who should be contacting you?
1: Again, you know, it's, uh, Spanish speakers are, are sort of my niche, right? Um, for the reasons I explain, I feel like I can do the job better than, than anybody who has an assistant that can speak Spanish. I can explain the law a lot better uh, and in their language and the way that they can understand it. Um, so, those are the ones that should be communicating with me. Um, because, you know, a lot of times they, they don't know. The law, they, they fear that if they do something about it, that they're going to be deported or that uh, somehow it's going to raise the alert with, with ICE or something. And, you know, suddenly their immigration status is going to be an issue. Um, and sometimes they don't even think they have rights because they're undocumented or because they're just residents here. So anybody in that group should definitely uh, reach out to me because, um, you know, I do a lot of presentations about why they do have rights when they're injured. And, you know, I can help them um, sort of push those through and, and understand those along the way
0: awesome well you heard it if you're in that situation find yourself in that situation uh you got your guy right here octavia <laughs> <laughs> well, Octavia, i just want to uh, thank you so much for for coming in and sharing your story and you know also for mentoring our youth you know especially yeah. in underserved communities and we're excited to see where your uh, where your business goal will be rooting for you
1: yeah well thank you tony it's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the opportunity all right
0: thank you brother